Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, if you would, turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. Um, I want to begin by telling you a little bit of a story of something that happened just recently. On June 7th, uh, President Donald Trump made an unannounced visit to McLean Bible Church. McLean Bible Church is one of the bigger churches uh, in the D.C. area. It's pastored by Pastor uh, um, David Platt. Um, it was not a long visit. In fact, it was really um, only a few moments, but Pastor David Platt only received word that the President Trump was stopping in for a few minutes before he got there. He just he had no warning. He had no real um, announcing that he was going to be there except for a few, min- few moments before he got there. Uh, President Trump was only able to stay for a few moments, and with those few moments, uh, Pastor Platt invited President Trump on stage and began to pray over him. Um, he prayed, and I quote, that God would give Mr. Trump wisdom, grace, and mercy. He prayed that the president would know of God's promised love for him. He prayed that President Trump would lead and make decisions with justice and equity for all in mind. Um, in fact, Pastor Platt's testimony was that before he came out on stage, that he had a moment with him behind stage, and once again, in just a few moments, shared a brief uh, gospel presentation with him, and so forth. But as Pastor Platt closed in prayer, President Trump exited the stage and got, went on his way. What happened in the days following the visit, Christians of all people began to chide and chastise Pastor Platt for praying over the president. Unbelievable to me, in my mind. You think prejudice doesn't exist in church circles in Christianity, think again. Because some of those that you think are closest to you, those of you that you think would understand, those that you would believe would be on your same page, oftentimes are not. But Christians of all people began to chide and chastise Pastor Platt for praying over the president. They falsely accused him of taking political sides. They criticized The criticism was so sharp that Pastor Platt wrote a letter to his critics explaining the gospel why of having President Trump on stage for a quick word of prayer. Then others criticized him for writing a letter to his critics saying that he didn't need to do it. But he was just trying to be open to understanding people and helping other people understand why he prayed over him. God forbid that we as his children pray for someone we may not agree with. If prayer is not a part of the solution to seeing people who need Jesus change, I don't know what is. Think about that for a moment. God forbid that we pray for someone that we don't agree with 100%. That's where our prejudices come into play. That's where our judgmental attitudes come into into play. Well, they're different than I am, so I'm just going to kind of let them do their own thing, and I'm not going to worry about them, I'm not going to talk to them, I'm just going to ignore them, pretend they're not in the room, and least of all, I'm not going to pray for them. We may never say it, folks, but that's how we act. There should not be a prejudice in, in, in the body of Christ. There should not be a judgmental spirit in the body of Christ. If we can't pray for one another, Lord, tell me, what can we do for them? We've got to get this under control. But as we come into 1 Timothy chapter 2, it makes it very clear who we are to be praying for. As I read this next text, the first thing that came to my mind was this circumstance of the president. 
if he doesn't know if he doesn't need prayer, I don't know who does. And not just because I may agree with him or disagree with him on some areas. All of our presidents, all of our governors, all of our legislators, all of our congressmen, all of our senators, those who are making the laws, they need our prayers. I don't care what side of the aisle you think you're on or you think is right. They need our prayers, right? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is a good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. Therefore I desire that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity that we have to look at your word this morning. I ask God that you would speak to our hearts. I ask God that you'd help us be honest with ourselves. And Lord, not to think more above our, uh, more regarding ourselves than we ought. Lord, I pray that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only, Lord. Beginning with me, God, I pray that we would, as a body of believers, pray. And especially pray for those in these positions, Lord, because they need your power, your strength, your wisdom, God. So God, we ask that you would work in our hearts this day. Draw us closer to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul prayed for several things in his call to prayer in chapter 2, verse 1. And it's interesting that he says, Therefore, in light of everything that he has said in the last few weeks that we've been looking at, to stand firm in our faith, to stand firm in the gospel, to not go back in what we know is right, in light of all these things, therefore, then he goes on and gives us, the point, I exhort, first of all, the supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. The Word of God uses approximately seven different words for the word prayer. And there's four of them used in this passage. He talks about the word supplications and prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings. And there are others that he used. But first of all, he says, I exhort, first of all. And I wonder, why does he do that? Why does he say, first of all? Why doesn't he just give us a list of things and put prayer somewhere down in the bottom of it somewhere? Because we don't realize the importance that prayer has in the life of a child of God, right? I wonder if sometimes we don't fully understand the power of prayer. And I think sometimes we live in such immediate, right now, generation culture that if something doesn't happen, if we don't get our way right now, we just kind of forget about it. We pray for something to happen. If it doesn't happen this day, well, that was yesterday. I'm on to a new subject. We tell someone that we're going to pray for them. We pray for them at that moment. But then what about two, days, two, three, four, five days later? Are we still praying for them? We live in such an immediate culture that if we don't get our way, if we don't see what we want immediately, we kind of forget, out of sight, out of mind. We forget the power of prayer. We forget the necessity of prayer. We forget the urgency of prayer. When's the last time we got on our knees and we said, God, if you don't do this, it's not going to happen. If you don't intervene, I can't do this. And our dependency and our urgency is on Him. When's the last time we found ourselves in that position? That if, if God doesn't intervene, this circumstance is not going to change. And we put our trust in Him. Do we understand that in the early church, prayer was as vital to the ministry as the Word was? In fact, in Acts chapter 6 and verse 4 it says, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. 
Prayer was as important as the Word of God. And if I don't pray over what I'm about to preach, I might as well stand up and just be babbling. The bottom line is we need to be praying, and it was important to the early church. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, they put this caveat on it. Don't pray as a hypocrite. You don't need to let everybody know you're praying. You don't need to stand up and say, hey, I'm praying, everybody. Hey, I want you to join me as I pray. No, he says pray, pray uh, in, the, in your heart, in the quiet place. It's not to be a hypocrite. It's not just to say, well, I pray so many minutes a day. We're to pray in faith. But he says four areas here, supplications. Those are those felt needs. You think God's not concerned? He is. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said to do it. I can remember as a kid growing up, I would also oftentimes pray for everyone else, but I wouldn't pray for myself. I thought that was just selfish. And I wouldn't pray for myself. It wasn't until I was a freshman in Bible college that one of my professors said, hey, God cares about your, about your desires as well. In fact, he says he'll give you the desires, and hopefully our desires are in sync with his desires. But I used to think, well, that's only for spiritual things. You ever had a desire for something that wasn't necessarily a spiritual thing? Well, I thought, well, if this guy is right, what do I got to lose? Either God's going to give it or he's not, right? So I prayed for a couple of things. I prayed for my first truck. 1984 Chevy S10. I wanted a truck so bad. But I thought to myself as I prayed, and, I, and it was, I tell you, I, I prayed so wrong. I really did. Lord, I really want this truck. But if it's not your will, it's okay. Uh, and Lord, you don't really have to do it, but it would really be good if I could get it. I mean, I was like giving God every out. Rather than praying in faith, believing that God would do it. But God answered my prayer anyway. And I was so excited when my parents pulled up in this $800 84S10 pickup. It was just a little thing. You know, I always wanted a leather coat. Don't ask me why, but when I was in high school, 1988, 89, 90, I graduated in 90, by the way. Don't get jealous. It was the cool thing. It was the in thing to have a leather coat. I wanted a leather coat. I mean, one of these cool leather coats, you know, you see like Fonzie wearing, you know. Uh, I wanted a leather coat. But everywhere I went, I mean, I wasn't the little guy then, as I'm not the little guy now. But everywhere I went, these coats were four and $500. And I asked my dad, I said, can I get one of these leather coats? And he goes, I ain't paying that much. Which I would tell my kids, I ain't paying no four or $500 for a coat. But I somehow wanted my dad to do it. But I remember walking all over the entire mall, Northtown Mall. We walked up and down in every shop. I mean, the only coat that actually fit me was $490-something, almost $500. And my dad said, put that back on the rack. So we walked around a couple more shops, and then as we were coming back through the mall on the way out, and by the way, I was just praying, Lord, can I get a leather coat? Just a little thing. We're walking on our way out of the mall, and we passed that store again, Structure. And I looked in there, and they were putting clearance signs on everything. So I walk in there for a few minutes, and once you know, they put a 60% off sale sign on that coat I wanted. And my dad says, okay, we can get that one. It was a $500 coat on sale for 60% off. I got the leather coat I wanted. And there were two or three other things that I just, I just, I, I just decided to take my professor at his word. That God even gives you the things that you want, not only just the things you need sometimes. But I didn't, I didn't believe that. I didn't think that way. But here's what he says. Supplications. Those are those felt needs. It wasn't really a need, but it was something I wanted, and God just chose to bless me with it. Then prayers, the sacred prayers, or prayers of worship, where we just spend time in communication and fellowship 
in relationship with Jesus Christ. Just taking that time to pray. Taking that time to fellowship with Him. Not getting in a hurry. Anybody not hurried? I mean, good Lord, we, we just do from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, and we rarely just take time to stop. When you see that word in the Psalms where commune with God upon your bed, and it has that word selah, S-E-L-A-H. You know what it means? It means just to stop. Just to ponder. Just to think about what he just said. To just slow down. But we're such a hurried culture, an immediate culture, that we don't take time to pray. We don't take time to spend more than a few moments to pray over our food. Or maybe a quick 10-second prayer in the morning as we get up. Am I saying those are bad? No, pray. But don't stop there. As you go about your day, that's why 1 Thessalonians 5 reminds us of what? Pray continuously. Be in a spirit of prayer no matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing. God knows we need it. And then intercessions, those petitions for those prayers of blessing, and it expresses confidence in a holy, righteous God who loves us. And then thanksgivings for everything God has, everything God is, for everything God will do. Now let me ask you a question. If we were really taking up this exhortation that Paul gave to Timothy and the church there, how long does that take on a given daily weekly basis. Now let me just preface this. I'm not looking for an amount of minutes. Well, Pastor, I got my 60 minutes in this week. Prayed 60 minutes this week. That's not the point. The point is we are taking time to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ and with, his family, with our Heavenly Father. Bottom line is this. I can't pray for a minute a day and get these things in. I can't pray for... A couple, few minutes a day and get these things in. Can you? If we're going to pray as God wants us to pray, we're going to have to give ourselves some time to do it. Because it's not something you just snap your finger and say, oh, done, got it in. It takes time. We've said it many times, and I'll say it again over and over, and you'll hear it 20 more times in the next 20 years. Every strong relationship is based off what? Communication. Thank you, Steve. Communication. If in a relationship, and I don't care whether it's between a husband and a wife, between a, a parent and a child, between an employer and employee, if there's good communication, the relationship is usually pretty strong. But when there's very little or no communication, the relationship is usually pretty weak. So if we claim to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, how's our communication with Him? Us hearing from Him and him hearing from us. How strong is it? How great is the communication? So for me to take time to bring my supplications before the Lord, for me to bring my time of worship before him and to just praise him for his love, for his kindness, for his grace, for his mercy, for his forgiveness, and the list could go on. That takes time. And then to bring time of intercession and expressing my confidence in a holy, righteous God and to just basically thank Him for what He's done, for what He's doing, for what He will do. I wonder if we understand the importance of prayer. And I think that's why He says, first, therefore, I exhort, first of all, first of all, make it a priority that the prayer be going forth. 
And then he says, I love this at the end of this verse, be made for all men. I had to think about this for a little bit. All men. What does all mean? I wonder what it means in the Greek. It means all. Simple English. Pray for everyone. Several couple weeks ago, when I put that Facebook post about the president and the circumstance, I, I just put those words, pray for everyone. Why would we not pray for everyone? Well, I'm not going to pray for them. I don't know them. Really? Because God's word says pray for everyone. Pray for all men. Those that are saved, those that are unsaved. Those that are, we're close to and those that are far away from us. Those that are rich, those that are poor. Those that are friends, those that are enemies. Those that are socially accepted, those that are socially rejected. Those that are near us, whatever, fill in the blank. Are we praying for those around us? Because my Bible says, for all men. It means everybody. I read one commentary on this. I thought it was out in left field. It says pray for all sorts of people. No, it says pray for everyone. All men. (coughs) How often do we, in our walk with God, choose who we want to pray for and who we don't pray for? We get irritated with other people that we don't agree with, but do we pray for them? We get upset with people who do something to us, but do we pray for them? Well, he's a Democrat. He's a libertarian. He's an independent. He's a Methodist. Oh, she's Catholic. Pray. Let me come back to that. God forbid that we as his children pray for someone we may not agree with. If prayer is not part of the solution to seeing people who need change, Jesus change, I don't know what is. Prayer is the answer. Prayer is the key. Are we doing it? I wonder when we think of praying for all one and liter- all men and literally everyone, if we pray for our neighbor that we really don't know very well. You know what I found, and someone said this years ago, and I think there's truth to it. You won't forget the names of those you pray for. Sounds so simple. But you won't forget the names of the ones you pray for. I've met our new neighbors. I'm praying for them by name now. I don't forget their name now because I'm praying for them. Um, i got some new people I'm praying for. The bottom line is, the more you pray for them, the more you remember their name. The more you remember their name, the more you pray for them. How about it's a friend that you know is not in a relationship with Jesus, but you know they need it. Are you praying for them? Or how about that coworker that you see on a regular basis? And you know they're not walking with the Lord. Do you pray for them? Or how about that relative that thinks you're just out there? We all have a couple of those in our family, right? You're just out there. You're a Christian. Do you pray for them? That they might too have that understanding that you have? Maybe it's that person at the grocery store. I've got a couple people at Wegmans that when I go there... If I see them, I'll go in their lane because I want to get familiar with them. I've got two or three people at Sunoco that I know by name. Every week I go in there and I, and I see Fatu. Fatu is from Guinea. And I talk with her and she knows I'm a pastor now and she knows that I am here every Sunday morning. 
but do we get to know people and pray for them that they might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? But those people that God puts in our sphere of influence, do we pray for them? And this is what really gets me. That Christians of all people would chastise and chide a pastor who in a few moments notice, finds out that the President of the United States is going to be there and he says, I just want to pray for you. Why is that wrong? Why would, that, why would anyone even consider that to be a problem? It wasn't about a political side. It was about someone who needs God's wisdom. So he says here, chapter 2, verse 2, for kings and all who are in authority. First of all, kings, presidents, prime ministers, governors, mayors, supervisors, senators, congressmen, legislators. Do they not need God's wisdom? Do they not need to rule and make law according to justice? Do we pray for them? I get irritated with them. That's easy. Just watch any news, whether you're for the CNN side or the Fox News side. I don't care what side you watch. It's really, really easy to get irritated, isn't it? But is it as easy to pray for them? And this is all in authority. And then here's the writer of the book saying this. And all who are in authority, that we, those of us who lead, we need your prayers. I covet your prayers. You want to talk about me, as the old gospel song said? Talk about me all you want down on your knees before God. I'll take all the prayers you want to give. Because I need it. And then he says, why? To lead a quiet or tranquil and peaceable life. Put yourself in their shoes just for a moment. Can you imagine? Just try to rationalize this in your mind for a moment. The stress, the anxiety, the pressures that those in leadership, especially at those levels, go through. I'm just telling you, the haters, no matter what you do, they're never going to change their mind. You have to know that every time someone, some of these people in leadership open their mouth, they're scrutinized and rejected. And everything they say is twisted and contorted. And they need prayers. Anybody ever got to that point where you just wanted to get away from it all? Have you ever been there? You just wanted just a little bit of peace, a little bit of quiet, a little bit of tranquility. Just pray that they might have that. Because there is pressures that we don't know anything about. And then he says, with godliness and reverence. How do we pray that those in authority, those in leadership, those that are in kingly positions, not only have peace and tranquility, but we're to do it with godliness and reverence, with respect. We've been talking about this. We've talked about this in Sunday school. We've talked about it in men's Bible study. But when I love somebody, does it mean that I condone everything they do? No. Just because I love someone, does that mean that I endorse everything that they're a part of? No. In fact, there's a lot of people that I love that I don't agree with. A lot of people who are involved in areas of sinfulness that I don't agree with. But we're called to love them. That's being godly. 
that's showing respect not only to the person, but to the God who made that person. So we're to pray with godliness and reverence. And then he says, I love this, verse 3, for this is good and acceptable. To who? In the sight of God our Savior. He said, it is good and acceptable. I love this. And as I think about through this, through this passage here, just in 1 Timothy alone, Paul uses the word good over and over and over again. And notice what he starts with. Uh, back in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, but we know that the law is good. He starts with the word of God, the very law of God, as saying this is a good thing. And just as we said in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, that prayer and the word of God went hand in hand. He says we are going to give ourselves to prayer continuously and the word of God continuously. He goes from the law, the word of God, into prayer. In the chapter 2, um, in our text, verse 3, for this is good, that we what? That we pray. This is acceptable to God. This is good in His sight. Then you look at verse 18 in chapter 1. It says, The charge I commit to you, you son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Another time he used the word good. Because it's, you don't want to do it bad. You don't want to do it half-heartedly. You don't want to just get through it. You want to do it in a good way. Because that's what's pleasing to God. Then he goes on chapter three, or I'm sorry, chapter two, uh, verse three, as we already read. Then chapter three, verse one. This is a faithful saying: If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. It's a good thing. Paul likes this word "good." He goes on in chapter three, verse thirteen. For those who have served well as deacons obtained for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith. He goes into chapter four and verse four. He says this. For every creature of God is good. Verse 6. If you instruct a brother in these things, you will be a good minister. Uh, chapter 5 and verse 4. He says, But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is a good and acceptable before the God. He uses the word good over and over again, but he especially says this is a good and acceptable thing to be praying for all men. And I love this next verse. Who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? Who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? There's a lot of debate about this verse. I've heard every kind of commentary there is on this verse. This is my take. It's my opinion. My belief. All means all. If we said way back in the beginning, I exhort first of all that supplication prayers for all men. And we said all meant what? Yeah. So take that same definition in verse 1 and apply it to verse 4. Who desires all? Now, do we know all men are going to be saved? No. I wish that were the case. But that's his desire. It's his desire. That's why he said in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he says, And he himself is a propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. He desires that men be saved. 1 John 4, verse 14, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Here's what I 
No. I don't fully understand the mystery between God's will and man's responsibility. I don't. But I know that both are taught in the Word of God, and both are a part of His plan for mankind. Yes, God does a work, and man responds to that work. But we're going to pray, as He has encouraged us to pray, that all men be saved. If prayer doesn't work, I don't know what will. That's what we have to rely on. And in John chapter 6, verse 37, it says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will no means, by no means cast out. He comes with open arms. And, and Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God for Israel is that they might be saved. We're to pray for the unsaved. Do we do that? We wonder why we don't see people coming to the knowledge and faith of the Lord Jesus Christ on a regular basis. Are we praying for it? Are we praying for opportunities to share our faith? And I've said a thousand times, the simplest way to share your faith is to simply tell someone else what God has done for you. doesn't require going to a Bible institute. doesn't require going to Bible college. It simply requires you to be open about your faith, to open your mouth, to talk about it. I want to close with five truths that we see in these following verses. Uh, beginning with verse 5. Let me read them one more time. Verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. Therefore I desire that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Five truths I want us to understand and close with today this morning. Number one, there is only one God. We see that verse 5. He is the only one who has paid the price. He's the only one. One God. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. The bottom line, there isn't multiple roads that lead to the same place. There's multiple roads that lead to different places. There's one way to Jesus Christ. He says, I am that way, the truth, and the life. There's one God. Number two, there's one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. Whew, am I thankful for this? I don't need to go to a priest. In fact, according to the book of Hebrews, I am a priest. And I go to the Lord. And I love that freedom that I have to go to the Lord anytime I want. I don't have to go through another man. No other man died besides Jesus Christ for my, for my sins. No other man died and rose again for my sins. Bottom line is, there's one mediator between God and man. And here's the thing, we forget. That that mediator is at the right hand of the Father, making prayers for us with groanings and utterings which cannot be understood. He is taking our prayers to His Heavenly Father on our behalf. Isn't that awesome? But He's our mediator, no one else. Number three, there's only one who gave Himself a ransom. In fact, Matthew, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, says that He came to be a ransom for the, for the lost, to give His life a ransom and to serve many. Only one. Number four, there is one who appointed him to be a preacher and an apostle. You see, if, if someone who is pastoring or leading a church or preaching is not called of God, there's a potential there could be a lot of problems. I remember as a college student going to a conference I really didn't want to go to. I was doing a summer internship, and the pastor, senior pastor of the church uh, was sitting there, the associate pastor of the church was sitting there, and then I was sitting there as the summer intern. 
one of the fellows in the church came in and says, hey, we're going to the conference. Which one of you is going with us? Because the conference that they were going to required somebody from staff to go with the layman. Senior pastor says, I ain't going. Associate pastor says, I ain't going. Ken's going. And I looked at the pastor. I said, do I have to? I really don't want to go to this conference. I mean, it wasn't a, a circle that I was comfortable with. It wasn't a circle that I wanted to be a part of. And pastor looked at me and goes, I ain't going. You're going. He goes, have fun with that. <laughs> so I said, I'm not on staff. I'm not a staff. He goes, you are this summer. <laughs> so I got roped into going to that conference. But here's what happened at that conference, and I will never forget it as long as I live. Pastor was a well-known man who stood up in the pulpit, and I heard seven messages that weekend. Only one person actually opened their Bible and preached. The rest of them just yelled and screamed. Took a little phrase and ran with it, just screamed. The big hitter came up last and preached sermon number seven. And he bragged about how Amway and other famous businesses that had Christian origins used his message on success to promote their salesman's ethic. He didn't open the Bible. He didn't really even refer to God much in, this, in the sermon. But what he did is what I'll never forget. At the end of his message, he said, I can't believe, but God didn't call 300 people to be pastors today. That God has called. God wants you to stand forward and become a pastor. I'm like, uh-oh. He goes, if God's called you to preach, stand up right now. One, two, three, four. And mind you, there's a thousand people in this auditorium. Five, 17, 18. If you don't stand up, you're, you're, a, you're a sissy and you'll never do anything for God. 27, 28, 29. Oh, he was counting it out. Because he believed in his mind, God's called 300 people. I'm not kidding you when I say 10 stanzas later, it was still going. He got to 300, and the service was over, everybody went home. And my problem with that has always been this. Did God call them? Did God appoint? Paul says here, in this passage... Verse 7, for which I was appointed a preacher. Paul was appointed by God. We can go back to Acts chapter 9, where, where God says, I will show to him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. He is a chosen vessel. Either God calls, or man decides. And I'd rather be God called than make a decision to do something God has not had his hand of blessing upon. Because the latter destroys churches and destroys relationships and destroys people. There is one God, one mediator, one who gave himself as a ransom, one who appoints those to be preachers and apostles. And then he says one more thing in verse 8. Therefore I desire that men pray everywhere. There is one desire that men pray. That people of God pray. And here's what he says. In Psalm chapter 24, in verses 4 and 5, he says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. He says, I wish, according to verse 8, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. 
without wrath has the idea of there's no anger. And there's no doubting. We know what it means to doubt. When's the last time we prayed and said, Lord, I've got this need. I know you can take care of it. Well, I think you can take care of it. I hope you can take care of it. But maybe you won't. Maybe you will. I don't know. No. Is that praying in faith? No. Do we really, when we pray before God, say, I'm praying in faith, believe Because Hebrews reminds us, what? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For they that believe God must believe that He exists, and He's a rewarder of them that, what? Diligently seek Him. Do we diligently seek Him? But he throws one more little thing in there. Without doubting. And really, part of the doubting here is the murmuring. Murmuring. Um, if you look in the languages there, it, it has the idea of dissension or disputing. Without dissension, without disputing. When's the last time that we just walked away and didn't have to be right? That we didn't have to have the last word. That we didn't have to prove our point. And yet we do that with God sometimes. We want to justify why we want what we want. We want to rationalize why what we're doing is okay. We want to create dissension. God says, I know what's best. I know what's right. Trust me. In Philippians 2 verse 14 says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Can we say that? Can I say that? Oh, goodness. i got to be right sometimes. I'm just saying I think I'm right. Maybe you're that way. But his word is true. We're to pray for everyone. Who are you praying for? It's easy to pray for our family, right? I mean, they're our kids. We pray for our kids. That's easy. Uh, we pray for our circumstances at work because it personally affects us. So we pray for our family, our work circumstances. But when's the last time we prayed for those that we didn't agree with? When's the last time we prayed for those who didn't know the Lord? When's the last time we prayed for our neighbor, friend, co-worker, loved one, friend, whatever? He says, I exhort, first of all, make it a priority to pray for all men, for kings, those in authority, those who lead. Because it's a good thing to the Lord to do that. It's a good thing. One God, one mediator, one who gave himself a ransom, one who appointed him to be a preacher and apostle, and one desire to pray. I don't know about you, but that's a challenge to me. I think that's why Paul really wanted to impress upon young Timothy as a preacher, make sure you do these things. Make sure that this is a part of your church. Make sure this is what characterizes you as a body. I don't know about you, but we need to embrace this as well. Amen? This needs to be a part of who we are. And I believe that when we do that, God will honor it. He'll bless it. And what we think we deserve as a blessing may be completely different than what God wants to do for us as a blessing. But are we willing to do it, the hard work of praying, so that we can see God work in our midst? I trust that we are. Let's pray.